Hi, I'm Will Betts. And I'm Chris Barker, and welcome to the Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast. In this podcast, we talk to artists, composers, producers, and industry figureheads about their dream studio. And it's a dream studio they will have to live with forever. But there are some rules. In the Forever Studio, you can choose a computer, a DAW, and an audio interface. Then you have six other pieces of studio kit, plus one luxury item non-gear related. Any other rules? No bundles. No bundles. No bundles. (laughs) (laughs) On the podcast today, we have Christian Henson. As well as co-founding Spitfire Audio, Christian is a renowned composer in his own right, with credits across film and TV, and video games including Alien Isolation and Assassin's Creed 4. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. This is my first podcast. Ah. And I was saying, like, podcasts have been a lifesaver for me, because I do a lot of travelling between London and Edinburgh, and um, yeah, it's the taxiing. Podcasts, they rescue that dead time. This is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. Now you can listen to yourself. We've got a very niche audience of people on runways. The runway audience. Okay, so the first thing we like to talk about is the kind of the fantasy vibe of your studio. Like where where would you if you know if you could, where would you put that studio? And what would it look like? What you know, there's all sorts of types of studios from the spaceship looking ones to the wooden, you know, organic type studio in the woods kind of thing. What's your dream location, you know, if you could? Well, something that I'm really fortunate about is, is I've spent time, a lot of time in, in some of these dream locations. And I have quite a romantic story. When I was 25, and it's going to get dark immediately. This. <laughs> when I was 25, I had a massive uh, brain hemorrhage. And uh, uh, it had to be clipped in the Royal Free Hospital. So I had uh, brain surgery. And my father looked out of my, uh, the, the ward window and pointed down to this church and said, you see that church down there? That's George Martin's studio. You'll work there one day. And I remember thinking, N- I will never work there. And I have to say that I'm kind of, that's the studio that I've spent the most time in, you know, I, more, more time than I would say my own studio, and that's Air Studios. And for me, studios, it's not just the equipment. I think the room is something that, that people don't talk about enough. But having worked at Abbey Road and having worked at, you know, on the Newman stage and having worked at Air Studios, it's the people. And there's something just very magical about the people at Air Studios. And I think it's because it comes from George Martin originally, his spirit. Um, and I think that's... that's. So if you were designing a space, it would be that kind of vibe. And, and you know, you would go, you would you would lean on the experience from those studios to create. So where would you put it in the world, though, if you could, if you could build your own version of Air or Abbey Road or what? You know, this is what we're trying to find out in the fantasy. Sorry. No, no. Yeah, um, or would you just buy Air? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I, we, I mean, to be honest, we did try ah. because it was on sale. Yeah. But it was just a bit pricey. So I, I would, um, wherever it would be, I would take the team from Air. And I, I am in love with my new hometown, which is Edinburgh. And there is actually a church on Holyrood Road that looks a little bit like Air Studios. And I walk past it and kind of imagine one day if I won the lottery, maybe I could do an Air North. Amazing. So that's the kind of, uh, the kind of vibe is you taking an old building and converting it as well. It's like, so Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. I think that that's what's amazing about, I mean, I've, I've built a few studios and no matter how scientific it appears, from what I can gather, it always tends to be a happy accident. I mean, if you go into Abbey Road 1, that shouldn't sound very good, but it just does. Abbey Road 2, I think, sounds awful. I don't think the Beatles ever liked it either, apparently. Mm. But, um, but it has this kind of magic about it. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there's that George, George Martin went into that, that church and clapped his hands and went, that's, 
some, there's something extraordinary about the room is really small but it's just got these immensely tall ceilings that mm. create this. So it has this early reflection coupled with this, which is the magnifier, yeah. coupled with this tail, which is extraordinary. But as I say, you know, for me, you know, what we're doing is, you know, certainly for me as a film and TV composer, I'm helping tell a story. And for me, it's all about capturing emotions. So it's all about how you feel in a place. And if people make you feel good, you do good work. And I think that there's no better place in the world than the team at Air, Air Studios. So we're taking the team from Air, we're stealing them, we're putting them in the church on Holyrood Road. Yep. And we're making it into the best studio in, Absolutely. in the UK. Nice. And so that's the first thing we like to discuss. Secondly, um, you get to choose uh, Mac or PC, I guess. You're going to be Mac. It's going to be Mac, yeah. Um, and why, why a Mac? Over a PC. I suppose uh, that, that's changed a lot, in, even in the, in the movie world, right? You surely, mm-hmm. there must be more people running big Windows rigs than previously. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because Hans and his, um, his team, they use, they use PCs and they use Cubase. Mm. And I would say if you're going to use Cubase, use it on a PC, simply because Hans is on their case. Um, I've always liked Mac because I was brought up as an astheist. You know, I really have an appreciation for design. My mum was really strange. She was really nosy and she used to get us up very late at night to walk around the block in our pyjamas so we could look into our neighbours' houses and <laughs> criticise their furniture. So from, from that... Are we allowed to say who your mother is as well? <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, yeah. She, I, I'm, I come from a show business family and my mother, um, it, within the UK, is quite famous and she's, she's had an amazing career. Her name is Eunice Stubbs. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that outside against? You know her again. She's outside. She's out there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> She's judging our furniture. Yeah. Slowly, one by one, our, our neighbours got net curtains. And our mum was <laughs> disgusted by it. But uh, she just taught us to look at stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so for me, I really appreciate the design aesthetic of, mm. of Apple. You know. And the next thing is the DAW. Now, you only get to choose one. And uh, I think we've discussed previously that. Well, I was Cubase originally, but I switched to Logic because of the EXS24, the in-house sampler. Um, So it's really weird. All of my assistants, who are now the kind of in-house composers at Spitfires, they all use my key commands, and they're really weird, and they don't realize they're actually using Cubase key commands in Logic. (laughs) But I always say that Logic is... It's like your parents suddenly decide when you're 15 to have another kid, and you kind of love your new brother or sister but you don't necessarily like them. And that's what I would say about Logic, really. I tolerate it. So that's what, if you could only have one DAW for this dream studio, you would still choose Logic? I'd still choose Logic. <laughs> it's, it's like, for me, it's like an instrument. And it's like, it's, it's like, and I just, I happen to pick the recorder. You know, it's, uh, you know, I tolerate it. So the final free item before we get into your six is uh, the audio interface. I'd say an Apogee Symphony. Um, I think that to have uh, an interface where you don't need to worry about you know, AD and DA conversion is is great. That 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 they're solid, um, nicely designed things. And what about the integration with Logic as well? That must be a useful thing. Yes, it just it's, it's pretty seamless. And yeah, right. you know, I mean, I've I've always been deeply concerned about AD conversion, and it's just great because it's like you forget about it. It's, it's great. I have a, you know, in my studio. I have a, a dedicated AD converter, but the minute I have more than two channels, I know I'm safe. It's fine. Mm. Yeah. Just to jump back quickly to the 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 EXX. 24, mm-hmm. was it that it was the sampler and you were like, okay, this is it now? Yes, it was just, I remember I was an, I was a, um, an emu guy 
and um, uh, the the you know, and I thought I'd never come off because I could just be really quick. So you were sampling using the yeah the emu the yeah. e, e, e what's it the e four the x four ultra or something like that I think it was called yeah um, and um, I uh, yeah I just remember the first time I I decided to use the e exs twenty four. It was honestly, it was like, oh, that's interesting because I don't have to do this, which is, and I'm now just turning my chair <laughs> to the sample on the side. And it was just honestly, it was just kind of through through laziness. And it was just the, the ability to organize samples and files and all that. And I think that EXS24 is the best uh, music software. And I think that I'm kind of, by saying logic, I, I feel I'm kind of semi-cheating because I bought all of the components that are now bundled together in Logic. So I bought the Vocoder, EXS24. It was all available separately mm. before it was bought by Apple. Ah. So time has really served you well in the Forever Studio because you've, you've got around the bundle. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Bundle dodger. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't have to scream no bundles. Yeah. <laughs> She's always welcome. So we're on to our main six then. Okay. Item You're- number one. Item number one. Well, again, what I think is it's, it's not just about the kit in studios. It's about the people. So what I'm going to do, if you don't mind, seeing as you're kind of like being Santa, is I'm going to instruct you to actually steal kit, specific kit from specific studios. We've, we've had this. We've had, yeah. uh, we've had the, the Sound City Neve uh, on as one Excellent. of the... Uh, so. so I'd start with the desk. And I would like you... Is, is that counted as one or do we yeah, just take a channel? No, that, is, that is one. That yeah. is one. I'd like you to steal the Kadak desk from Air Adele Studios. And the reason for that is it's a, it's a queer sounding desk. And for I've, I've worked in that studio, I would say, nearly as much as Air stu- Studios. It's funny because Air Adele was basically a jingles company. It was set up by George Martin, but it was totally separate from Air Studios. And one of the problems of working at Air Adele is when, whenever I book a band to play there, is you know at least one person will turn up at Air Studios, which is about 45 minutes away. (laughs) But it's been in the same location, King's Cross, since the 1980s. A woman called Maggie Rodford runs it. She helped build the studio. And um, they have this Kadak desk, which was the last music Kadak desk they built in the the 1980s. And um, it has just been so lovingly maintained. One of the real disappointing things of going into studios with retro gear these days is you tend to have a thing where every other pot Mm-hmm. It's not. Oh no, that channel doesn't work. And just you go. I'm just going to pan it to the left. If you're <sighs> going to record that. Make sure it goes through this channel because that's the one that sounds good for that somehow. Whereas now. this <laughs> desk is absolutely meticulously maintained. I know this because I once worked with a director. I won't mention his name. He was quite cocky, and he came in to review some mixes, not knowing that this Kadak desk had flying faders. And he put this large venti latte on on the console. <sighs> And uh, and then he hit play. The the, the the engineer went no, and the faders flipped up and just deposited the entire contents of the oh latte. And what God. I hate about when that happens is when it, it it doesn't come out. You know, it's not dripping the other end. It's like it's in there. And it was back and up and running the next day. But it was absolutely amazing because the, the faders just went mental yeah. because of all of the like it was circuitry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I just think, you know, something that I always advise young people is to find your own voice. And, uh, you know, I've been working at Airedale and it went through a phase of just being kind of underfunded when Sanctuary owned it. Um, and then in a funny kind of way, because they didn't pull the old desk out, there was just suddenly this point where you went, do you know what? This place is quite cool. And it was when Nick Cave and Warren Ellis recorded the score to the proposition there. It really went, you know, I th- I th- I've always felt there was a bit of vibe here. And it's just, it's just different. The desk is different. 
Okay, item number two. Monitoring. Yes. The 5.1 monitoring system in British Grove Studios. So are these all going to be stolen items? They're all going to be <laughs> You're stolen You're going to decimate and the, the UK one, recording industry. <laughs> and the last one, he's going to get really pissed okay, off. Yeah, right. gonna, but yeah, so, I mean, British Grove is incredible. I, I'm, I was working with an engineer and he said, Christian, you've got to go and work at British Grove because it is the best recording studio in the world. And this was an engineer from Air. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually believe you. And then I walked in and it's a, it's a studio that can record about 60 players. It's based next to a massive motorway in Hammersmith. And it was built by Mark Knopfler. And you just walked in. And the minute I walked in, I kind of smiled and laughed. And it was just like, this basically has been built by someone who's been in all of the recording studios and has gone, wouldn't it be good if? Wouldn't it be good if? Basically what you're doing right now. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. So little things like, you know, you walk into, you know... You walk to go and make coffee in the loo area at the back and you walk in and you go, where's the light switch? And then the lights just come on. You go, yeah. Uh. And then you look and the near, the next to the coffee machine is the same near-field monitoring as on the desk. So basically, you're never going to be in that situation when the guitarist turns himself up and you miss it, even if you're making a cup of tea. So he's really kind of, he's really dialed into the needs. And there's a vocal booth there, which is built on exactly the same dimensions on his home which is, I believe, where he recorded Sultans of Swing. So it's an insane place, but the monitoring is just nuts. And they've got this 5.1 monitoring, which you can switch from theatre mode, where the surrounds are to the right and left of you, to more of a home setup. Yeah. So you can do mix computer game surround in that configuration, and then you can mix film surround in that configuration. And what's the manufacturer of the monitoring? ATC. Oh, it's ATC. And they're monsters. Yeah. And the only problem I have with it... But, and, but it, because it's going to be my studio, it's not a problem. Um, <laughs> the, the only problem is you cannot listen to anything you've recorded there anywhere else but there because the monitoring is just so mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, but because it's going to be my studio, I'll, ju I'll just studio. only listen to podcasts yeah. there. In 5.1. <laughs> yeah. In 5.1. Yeah. We, we should mix this in 5.1. <laughs> yeah. Just this one episode. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's a curious thing, 5.1, because actually I'm not, I'm not asked to produce anything in 5.1 anymore. About 10 years ago, everything was being done in 5.1. But the main TV companies in this country don't, don't mix 5.1 anymore. Why not? It's just, I just think that it's more trouble than worth. We did, I remember us doing, I used to do music for Poirot, and that used to be mixed in 5.1, but whenever we did the final um, dub review, the producers would go, I want it coming out of the telly. And so we just, they'd, all these poor dubbing engineers, all of that work, and then it would just literally come out of this Samsung, Samsung telly that was mm. just there. Um, but yes, it's just, it's, it's very interesting. I've had this conversation with Hans Zimmer a lot because he notoriously works in 5.1. In fact, he's like, he whacks everything in the surrounds. And I think that there's, it's just a slightly conservative approach to 5.1 in this country. And, um, you know, it's interesting to watch dubbing engineers work with it. And they've just, they're very scared of backdooring and they call it, you know, people looking around because they think something's behind them right. and all of that okay. kind of stuff. Whereas you listen to those insane mixes for like the Chris Nolan films, like you've got like the entire orchestra is only in the surrounds. Yeah. And they're a bit more adventurous with it. But it's just, that's what I'm finding is people are not requesting Does surround. it affect the way you compose if you know it's how it, where it's going to end up in terms of... Yeah, I think that there's basically a lot of additional information that you can provide and I think that um, trying to make that from uh, a stereo mix is well it, it tends to be quite crudely done with delays and reverbs and stuff and I think that well, certainly you know I'm a big fan of making my own samples and I 
you know, I will create the surround version of the samples. Um, and certainly I love writing 5.1 because it's, it's, um, it's just so much more fun. Um, so and that's, I guess, what I would enjoy about working on computer games is, is they're very 5.1. Yeah. And it, what's great about that is that you are pretty much guaranteed that the user is going to be sitting in the plum spot. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to make all of those considerations for people at the back left of the, of, of the theatre and that thing of worrying about um, having a kick drum in the rears and there being a time delay because the theatre's that big and all of that kind of mm. stuff. It, it's more of a controlled environment. So certainly when I did Alien Isolation, that was, I mean, phenomenally 5.1 and it was great to, to write with those things yeah. in consideration. Yeah. So you were working with The Flight. That's that right, moment. my brother Joe and yeah. his partner Alexis, yes. That's a phenomenally... Uh, it's a horrifying game to play. I mean, yes. partly because of the sound design and the music, but I mean, and I mean that as a compliment. It is yes, it was. Re it was a, that. That was their ambition was to make something genuinely scary, and mm. it was to make the 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 concept of it was, was to make the the se sequel to the original Alien. Mm. So what we agreed to do is to go back to late nineteen seventies future. So it was we used all like spring reverbs and all, all of that kind of stuff, but to make futuristic music but from the 1980s and that was a lot of fun and it was interesting in that score because um, uh, Jerry Goldsmith notoriously wrote, wrote very little music mm. um, and that's what makes the music so poignant mm. uh, that flute thing only happens twice so they wanted it to sound like a Jerry Goldsmith score so I the flight they did more of the kind of electronics and stuff and I did more of the orchestral so I found myself writing five hours of Jerry Goldsmith score which was it was a real pinch me moment when we recorded that at air studios it was just insane item number three we've got a 5.1 system and we've got the desk we've got the desk from Aerodel. Yeah. yeah i think it's 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 the next up has got to be the microphone and uh i think there's only one place you can get your mics from if you're going to steal and that's abbey road because they won't <laughs> miss it they just got so Lester many. Lester will know. Lester will always But know. let's face it, it's because of the care and love that yeah. are given to those microphones. So it's going to be an AKG C12 vintage. Don't buy a new C12. Then they don't. They're not. They're not as good. And I think microphones are a little bit like. Uh, instruments you know they say that the personality of every player of a cello goes into it and the reason why the royal academy has this collection of stradivari that aren't in glass boxes and are being used is because instruments die and i think good microphones are like that and i think there's a good chance if you're nicking a c12 from abbey road that someone like ella fitzgerald may have sung into it mm. so the personality and the vibe and all the feeling that has passed through it i think you know i think that that things do contain the echoes of 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 and do you think they actually like bed in like, you know, oh, they yes. must bed in like speakers, you know, still capture all that same sort of similar technology that, you know, a, 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 an old mic will just bed in. It just There's a town in Vietnam where there's a famous road where there's this street market selling street foods. And famously, they keep these stocks on a low simmer and they never... They never ch change, they just add to the stocks. And there are stocks there that have allegedly been on simmer for 30 years. And there's just no way that you could imitate the flavour no. of a kind of millions of different ingredients going in. And I think microphones are bear, bear the scars and the, bear witness to everyone who have recorded into them. I worked in a restaurant when I was a kid and we had a French onion soup that did that. <laughs> a well-simmered C12. Um, what are you recording with this microphone? Well, I think that C12 is, is my, you know, I think that that can record anything. 
You know, I think that you can, it's great, you know, a meter and a half away from a violinist. I think it's great for vocals. I have a tendency to record female vocals more than men's. And I know that the C12 really suits the kind of singer I like working with, which the the singers who do that, that close miking, very soft singing. Um, and, and you know, I think it's good enough as a kind of a mono mic, you could sit in, sit in front of a section or a group of players. And, and I think that that, you know, it's just very versatile and a beautiful mic. What I love about, because I'm not, I'm not really any, no, I'm not much of an engineer um, uh, and I don't really know what I'm doing. But what I love about equipment is what the equipment that means that you don't have to do anything. I remember the first time I bought a decent mic pre and going, oh, I just don't have to mix this as hard. You know, it's, and they say that about instruments. It's like, it's, you know, it's easy to get a good sound out of it. And I mean, also on the, on the microphone front, sampling is obviously massive for you. So yeah. is there any significance with the C12 being such a, an all-rounder. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the reason I set up Spitfire Audio with Paul is we just couldn't understand why people were recording samples differently from music. I remember playing, I wouldn't be insulting about one of our brothers here, but I remember playing a, a guitar sample that was made by this company and being so impressed by it. But I said, you know, who wants a guitar that sounds like that other than maybe Mick Hucknell? And it was just so pristine and, and, and perfect. And it was like, well, where's all the vibe? And so one day I bought a Chirango inspired by the score for Motorcycle Diaries by Gustavo Santolalia. And, um, and I can't play the guitar. My brother's a fantastic bass player. So I said, listen, can we sample this? But I, just, this, I know this is like goes against sample law, but can you make sure every note sounds totally different? quickly whacked into EXS24 and it's the most and still to this day the best sample instrument I've ever played. I think I have a romantic view towards it because it set me on this road of going you have to capture spirit. You have to capture we say it's not sampling we're just recording one note uh, we're recording scores one note at a time. So that's what we do is we engineer an environment which is exactly the same as getting a really vibey recording. So everything we sample, I don't want to do an advert here, but everything that we sample is ten, when we can is recorded to two-inch tape. Um, and we just find that just the, the more kind of beveling you can get, give each individual note, the better the, 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 the sound. And I think that that's certainly the case for people making their own samples is try and capture the vibe. Don't worry about making it dry. Don't worry about making it kind of isolated um, uh, uh, because if you capture the vibe everything else will will follow the problem with samples is the duplication you know the minute you hold one note down you're holding down 20 players 20 microphones and one hall the minute you're holding down two notes it's 40 players 40 microphones and two halls so if there's anything that's a bit dodge in there you're just you, you it just multiplies yeah so just make, make each note as good as, as it possibly can be. We've been working with the Olafur Arnolds and it was funny, he sat in and worked on a sample library and it's like interesting watching a composer like having to sit, it's kind of tedious. And he said, it's really interesting because I, I like to make musical tapestries and by creating samples, I'm actually controlling the design of each and every thread and that's how I would recommend people apply it. So you'd be doing well with Leicester's C12, I think, as a, yeah. as a starting point for your, your sample library. And have you ever had any samples where you've just, it's been a, it sounded bad or intentionally bad, or you've not known what to do with it? I, I'm specifically thinking of the, the Rusty Gate sample. Yeah, that was bad. Can you explain the so, story? So basically, I, I've got this experiment called Piano Book. And uh, basically, I just thought, what I wanted to do is, is make a sample library in plain sight 
And then I thought, well, I've got this kind of YouTube channel and and a lot of like really lovely followers on that. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to make a sample library with some of the community? And I thought, well, sampling is quite difficult. What's relatively easy to sample? And pianos are actually both easy and difficult to sample in the sense that because they are triggers, you know, it's easy to make an instrument. Sampling them well is difficult. So I create this thing called Piano Book, which is a community sample project where people make samples of their pianos and tell stories about their pianos. And it's deeply romantic and and very exciting. And I just thought I'd do a competition. And I I recorded this gate that was squeaking in this inner Hebride island that I was on. And it was one of those things I went, that is going to be amazing when I when I, I turn that into a sample instrument. And it wasn't. It was shit because it was a, a rusty gate. And so I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, as a challenge, is challenge people to see if they can make this into a decent-sounding sample library, not realising that two weeks later I was going to have to listen to 250 rusty gates. Want to meet back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yes, there are things that you, don't, you think are going to be great and they're not. And this is what's so fun about sampling is you never really know how it's going to turn out. And when we do, like, we've just done this thing with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, which it took us three years to do. And you're just going, oh, bloody hell, I hope this is going to sound all right. But I think my, my favourite story along those lines is um, I'm a big fan of sampling kitchenware. And uh, I went to Shaftesbury Avenue, close to where I used to live. Uh, there's a catering store there. And um, I just went around tapping everything. And they thought that literally, oh, he's just got out of the lunatic asylum. The man, he's just like going and tapping stuff. <laughs> and the there nice was this, this really boring looking bowl that when I tapped it was really uninteresting, not as interesting as the others. And actually that turned out to be the best because it didn't have loads of overtones. It didn't, it didn't have loads of harmonics. So when you sampled it, put it on your C4, for example, and stretched it up and down the keyboard, it actually worked really well as a sample instrument because you didn't hear this weird thing where you've got, there's a fifth in that and then you go up a semitone and there's the wrong fifth and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So it's just this really boring looking bowl. And I think to, to, to this day, that's certainly my top five samples. <laughs> Top five most used, that's for sure. Mixing bowl. I love the the breadth of BBC Symphony Orchestra to bowl from near Shaftesbury Avenue. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. That's a great obsession, though. Yeah. yeah. It was funny actually because we 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 sold we sold that bowl as part of this this range called kitchenware. And it was really unsuccessful. And Paul and I were like, I just don't get it. Because like, just listen to that. You just, you know, you, you know that you add a bit of delay, a bit of reverb. And then I went, ah. Should we add some delay and reverbs to him? And we turned it into this other library with kitchenware with delays and reverbs on. And that's now a huge seller. If you're into music production, you should also check out Music Tech magazine. In this month's issue, we round up the latest generation of exciting new gear that we're expecting this year. We talk to Cold Cut and Ninja Tune founder Matt Black, electronic producer Space Dimension Controller, and Norwegian DJ Orjan Nilsson. Plus, we give you our verdict on Waldorf's Kyra synth, the Softube Console 1 fader, the AMS Neve RMX 15 500 series reverb, and Novation's new Launchpad X and Launchpad Mini Mark III. On top of that, we have a stack of tutorials for Cubase, Logic, Live, Studio One, Pro Tools, and FL Studio. You'll find all that and more in this month's issue. Subscribe now at musictech.net. So, item number four. I'd like you to go to Reykjavik and nick Olafur Arnold's EMT plate, please. It's one of the, I don't know which one it is. It's one of those small ones. It's like, I think they made like a household plate. Really? Is that, so not the, t, not the, not the 140, not the 250? No, no, because Air Adele has two of those biggies. It's a small one. Um, 
and it's just it's it's on all. I mean, that's what I really like about working with Olafur. Um, Four twenty. There, there you go. Yeah. That's exactly it. And he's yeah. got one of those, and and he really does. I mean, I go into a lot of studios, and you look and you go, yeah. How often do you use that space echo? And he really does use that stuff. And everything he does, he does in audio in Pro Tools. And you know, imagine doing. You know, he does the music for Broadchurch as well as his own mm. uh, uh, music. And I said to him, that just must be a nightmare when they recut stuff and you've got to reprint playing. And he doesn't MIDI convert any of his vintage synths or anything like that. Oh, wow. He's a real purist. And he goes, yeah, no, it's an absolute nightmare, but it's not a reason not to do it that way. And I think that was really inspiring for me. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, I, it's very interesting. Some, something that's been so joyous about this journey as one of the founders of Spitfire Audio is 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 meeting other composers. And I would say that 90% of composers are curators of sound. I remember seeing an interview with Pharrell Williams and Daniel Lanois. And Pharrell said, I just grab sounds from different locations and put them together. And Daniel Lanois is one of the 10% of sound makers who like, like to craft his own sound. And he calls them these little orphans. And he puts them in these little orphanages. And he just goes, one day I'll find these sounds at home. And I think that's very romantic. So when I go around the world meeting these composers, every once in a while, I'll sniff out a sound maker. We'd sniff each other out like dogs. <laughs> or drummers. Drummers are very good at finding each yeah. other in rooms, apparently. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you go, if I were to get you in the same room as Hans Zimmer, you, would, you would, wouldn't be able to shut the both of you up because they're so passionate about making sound. And um, so, yeah, I remember going, doing a bit of a kind of a seminar to a bunch of composers in Iceland. And I remember walking into this room and going, ah, oh, I found another dog. Yeah. <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> Hans said something lovely the other day, and he's, he's so passionate about this, but he says, you know, a lot of people don't understand that you can, you can extract a lot of emotion from sound. You know, sound is the, the smell of, of, you know, it can send you back somewhere. And that's what he's really interested in doing is find that, you know, I think a great example of his, it was his Joker theme, which is not a theme, it's just a sound and it's, and it's unbearable, you know, and it creates an emotion in you. And I think that's something worth... Yeah, when you can about. distill it into, like you say, a sound, that's not a, a, not a it's not a melody, no. it's not a, that's, that's yeah. Intense. And was it John Cage who said music, the definition of music is noise that's been organised? Yeah, organised noise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've uh, seen a few engineers that have that as their Twitter handle and things. Organising noise. <laughs> since yeah yeah since yeah, <laughs> we're on to item number, number five number five yeah you're confidently racing through these are you, so, are you prepared did you prepare yeah i thought about because it, it was going to be it was, it, i started the day really dull and i just went no actually if i can have anything might as well so we've done the desk the monitoring the mic the reverb mm-hmm Fairchild compressor, the one that's in, in the hall at Air Studios. It's a 606, so just mono, because we've only got the one mic. And again... You wouldn't want to use it for, uh, as, as an insert or anything. You wouldn't want to use the stereo. Maybe a little, little, little tickle to tape, yeah. A little tickle. So little, we, we're using the pre's in the, uh, in the desk then yeah. for the mic. I just love smashing stuff. And, um, you know, if I was going to have my, you know, what... What I would love to do with this setup is to record a drum kit with a C12 in mono. Just get that plum sweet spot, you know, the, the, the Motown setting where you get the right amount of balance between the hi-hat and the kick. Um, and then, you know, going into this, so I'd give it a bit of a tickle on the Kadak and then on the way out, I'd smash it through the, the Fairchild. And Fairchilds, I, I, I hope I'm not wrong in saying this, are 
notoriously um, uh, unreliable. Yeah. And again, the reason I want the one from Air Studios is because it's been maintained so lovingly. And they, I mean, the, the service team in Air Studios is second to none. The Fairchild's the one where they, they, they don't, they, you can't get the tubes anymore. So Yes, that's right. Yes, I remember can't. being with some producer in a studio. He had one once and I wanted to turn it on for a photo shoot. And he was like, I've yeah. sort of calculated that when it's on, the, obviously the tubes are instantly sort of dying. You know, slowly. Very slowly. Night, yeah. So he was like, I, I, it's cost, it costs about three quid a minute to run the Fairchild <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yes, that's, yeah. that is why I think there's something quite special about yeah, the yeah. Fairchilds with the original. But um, they keep finding big, occasionally they'll find like a, an old warehouse in Russia just full of tubes, yeah. won't they? And they'll go, oh, we've got a load more. And keep it going for another 10 years or whatever. Because there's the unfair child as well that's, that's out there now, the uh, yes. undertone audio. They, I mean, there's and other people are making these these sorts of things. Yes. And again, <laughs> I just don't know why. I mean, it's like, I mean, I think the stuff made by UAD is fantastic, but mm. I own a manly massive passive mm. and I have AB'd them and, and it doesn't sound the same because my massive passive doesn't sound like any other massive passive. Mm. And, um, and I think there's something about something like the Fairchild, it will bear the scars of everything that's, every drum kit that's been smashed through it. Um, but it's been loving, lovingly, uh, you know, looked after. And I think that is, it's interesting, I've been visiting a lot of studios in, in Scotland where they're run on, you know, incredibly tight budgets and basically can't afford to have service personnel. Mm. So they very much pick their equipment according to that. So there's a brand of SSL desks that's really reliable. The dualities. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Are the dual and they're just everywhere now. Yeah. So as a consequence, you know, when you do find <laughs> something that's been lovingly cared for like the 660 in, uh, uh, studios, yeah. that's, that's the thing to nick. Talking of obsolescence, I have a nice story about the um, when they phased out the NS10s. Um, I, I know a producer who can only mix on them. He's quite a famous producer, and he bought forty pairs of the tweeters. And he worked out that'll that'll last him to the rest. He monitors bloody loud on them as well. He blows them all the time. Will you he name worked names? out. It, yes, it was Pascal Gabriel, huh? who's uh, fantastic. And does he what Bryson amp on them? I don't know actually. I imagine because so. that's always the killer. That's with the NS10s. Well, he yeah. kind of lives half of his life in France and half of his life in London. So he's got, he always has two sets and he, he blasts them out. I mean, I don't like NS10s because I just think, well, it's got to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be, you know, accurate and a good kind of flat, but it's just like, I just, would just want to go home and cut myself. You didn't get, yeah, you didn't get into <laughs> so this. I, don't, I haven't didn't, triggered anyone. Didn't get, <laughs> didn't get into this industry for it not to be fun. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so we're on to the final um, studio item. So, like the, the gear before we move on to your luxury non gear related item. Mm -hmm. So, what's the final item? The final item is, as I mentioned before, is the best recording studios are the ones with great people and a great room, first and foremost. And it's not just the sound of the room, it's how people feel in that room. And I mean, certainly for like working with strings. You know, you give them a good room to play play in, and it's it's. I mean, for anyone who's produced vocals, I don't know if you've said the wrong thing to a vocalist, mm -hmm. and you've just the mojo's gone, and you could just hear it in their voice. It's exactly the same for strings, and if they have a good room where they can hear themselves, where they've got those early reflections, then you're going to get the best performance out of them, and that's what we're in the in, we're about capturing spirit and and emotion. So I was thinking, you know, what room could I nick? But the room is included. You can that. The, for well, the you see, 
I want all of the rooms. <laughs> oh, so you're so, inventing a bit of software. <laughs> no. So John Powell's not going to like me for this, but John Powell has uh, 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 an acoustic, electronic acoustic, uh, virtual acoustic environment in his studio, which is created by all sorts of f- f- uh, speakers, Mostly. phasings, doing phasing and stuff like that. So you can dial in whatever room you want in John Powell's studio. So that's what I want. Wow. So it's it's just speaker phasing or do they, does he have it's motorized spe- treatment and things it's like that? It's all sorts. There's this guy who I think used to work in Area 51, was his <laughs> assistant and built this. It's just the only place in the world that has this virtual acoustic environment. And you'll see if you, you know, he's a, it's a great Instagram to, to, to be subscribed to, it's John yeah. Powell's Instagram. Uh, and you'll just see, you'll see that he's recording a lot in his home studio and that's, and that's how he will match the quality of Air Studios or Abbey Road is because wow. he can he can generate that environment in his small room. Why isn't everybody using this? Because it probably costs a million to five pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and you need this scientist from Area yeah. 51. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Basically. So, wow. But yeah, but I'll nick that yeah. if he's not looking. That's incredible. I've been in studios where they've got like remote controls on the wall the, and the, ceilings lower yeah. and things like well, that. Olympic but, used to be like. Yeah, that. absolutely. You know, the, the whole ceiling coming oh, down yeah. in sections. Yeah. And, and the, the ceiling comes down in uh, air. Mm. And also a lot of people don't realize that you can actually flip the, the panels within the ceiling to a hard surface, to yeah. like Melotech. Mm. I have a funny story about that, actually. Um, I, I was doing a, a pretty terrible film called A Bunch of Amateurs, which is Burt Reynolds' last film. Um, I mean, I say a terrible film, it's a good film, but he just, he just, he just didn't bring it at all. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he's a he, terrible performance. So anyway, I wanted it, it was basically about an amateur dramatic society. And um, I wanted the score to sound like it was played by amateurs. So I wanted a really dry, boxy studio. And the only room in London that was available was the Hall at Air Studios, which you can't get in for love nor money. So we created a room within the room at Air Studios out of Melotech. So we literally took the um, the roof down so it was about six feet off the ground. And then we put these uh, baffles around it. So you were totally enclosed. And there was this point where I wanted the tuba player to really honk his horn. And he said, I can't. The ceiling's so low that the air is coming out the top of my horn, bouncing off the ceiling and going back in. And so he could only play to kind of mezzo forte. So that was a kind of a bit of an odd experience. But yeah, it was, like, it was sacrilegious. And it was very funny also because the seating chart, you know, when the musicians come in, they go and see where they're... Because you, you never work with... A, you very rarely work with someone like the LSO who are a band. They know where they sit. They sit the same seat yeah. all the time. So they're always the fixed bands. They need to know where they sit. And it was just great because it's just the sheet as they walked in the door with, with a bunch of amateurs and then all of the all of the musicians <laughs> listed. They'll go, and then nice, they see, thanks. And then they <laughs> see this little cave that they've got to play inside. And like, oh. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of their studios. So yeah, that, that was interesting. Now we move on to a luxury non-gear related item. Is there something that you take from studio to studio with you always or... You know, like a keepsake or a mascot, or is there something else that you would have as a luxury item? What do you need when you're recording that isn't gear? Okay, so I was brought up, as I mentioned, as an astiot, and also because I was a crazy, crazy nerd when I was younger. I was just like I was a like nerd without portfolio, <laughs> so I'd I'd like I'd do I'd be a postcard nerd for a bit. Yeah. I wanted to become a farceur, which is someone who acts in farces. Um, you know, I don't know why I was beaten up so much at school, but I really was. Um, not that I condone that. Um, and Who's laughing I became, now, though, Christian? I became, yeah, I became a calligraphy nerd. So I'm quite a good calligrapher. 
And so I have a passion for... for, for I mean, if I, if I had a, a bit of a weird, like, fetish, it's stationary sh- shops. Not necessarily art shops. And they don't have to be cool stationary. A Ryman will get me going. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just love a bit of stationery. But, yeah, so there is, there is only... You know, when talking about a piece of stationery, there, there is only one piece of stationery. And, and so few people have heard of it. But it is basically... It's the Porsche 911... No, it's not the NS10. It's the Neumann U67 of pens, and it's the Parker 51. And in fact, the design looks like it's like designed by the person who designed the Porsche Spider. It is so just phenomenally beautiful. But here's the, here's the wrinkle. The composite plastic that the nib sits in is the same plastic as they no- use on the nose cone of Spitfire. Uh, and that's the end of the show. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So I would, I take my Park Fifty One everywhere. I, I, I'm lying; I don't have it with me today. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I, that's something that it makes <laughs> taking notes is a pain. It makes it a pleasure, and I think taking notes is is something that I learned. I think about halfway into my career as a film and TV composer is stop looking at the fucking score. That's not your job. Your job as a composer is to help tell the story. So you've got to look at the picture. Don't look at the band when they're playing. Just look at the picture and listen to the music. Is it doing its job? And there are so many balls I've caught by just looking at, at, at the picture and going, that's just not hitting as hard as I thought. Put your mutes on. Yes. That makes it. For me, the difference of working with uh, live musicians um, uh, than samples is samples, if the comp- composition's good, good your, your hairs will stand up on the back of your neck. With live musicians, it'll make you cry. And that's what you, you need to do at times. So what I do is I get them to throw the bar counter up so I know which bar I'm in. So, okay, we need to look at bar 24 again or I'll just note it down my Parker 24, Parker 51. So just briefly on the Parker, is it a, is it a, a, a vintage pen that you bought secondhand? So does yes, it have they, that same embodiment a, a, of other people? Absolutely, and you do need to get them serviced. So there used to be a pen shop in Burlington Arcade which is now gone, unfortunately. I think they're based near Broadcast House now. Oh, no, they're based near the old Broadcast House in the Aldwych. Anyway, that's probably far too much detail. But yes, they, they, I think that they, they again, the, the pens, and uh, you have to run a pen in. It yep. has to fit mm. in with your style of, which is why, you know, I loathe to lend it to people. And when people lend me their fountain pen, it just... Always feels weird, right? Yeah, it feels like slipping on their warm underwear. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a, a weird scratch, isn't there? Do you, do you ever yes, feel yes, that? Yes, yes, that's yeah. it. You've got, to wear, you've got to wear it in according to the way that you, you, you write. And um, yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing about the Parker 51 is that the, um, all of the inks that were available at the time um, would corrode the, the Spitfire plastic so they had to develop an ink that wouldn't clog but wouldn't corrode the pen so they made quink ink for the parker 51 and when you go to the wikipedia page and look in quink ink it's written by me uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how much of a nerd without portfolio i am that's, that's, <laughs> how do you, how do you find right time <laughs> To be a nerd about everything. This is fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm overwhelmed of just being a studio and music production nerd. And you're, you're... Paul Thompson's probably going to divorce me when he finds out how much of a nerd he's, he's kind of partnered with. Well, I mean, let's, let's do a final rundown. Yeah, we'll do the final rundown. Final okay. rundown. So let's listen back to the studio and imagine it. The, the location is Air Studios on the Holyrood Road in the church. In the new Air Studios in, that we build in Holyrood Road. Yeah. Air Studios North. 
uh, running a Mac with Logic Pro X. Uh, the interface is an Apogee Symphony. You have the desk, the Kadak desk from Aerodel Studios. Yes, sorry, Maggie. <laughs> sitting in the control room, listening back on the ATC 5.1 system from Mark Knopfler's British Grove Studios. Yes. Recording everything with an AKG C12 from Abbey Rhodes, Mike Locker. Mm -hmm. uh, you have for outboard Oliver Arnold's EMT plate, the 420, was it? 420, the, the miniature. Miniature one. Plate. Uh, also for outboard, you have the Fairchild 660 from Air Studios. Yes. A lot of pilfering going on here. Yeah. Um, and John Powell's Area 51 virtual acoustic <laughs> environment <laughs> from his studio. And your luxury item is a Parker 51. There we now go. That's heaven. It sounds amazing. It does sound incredible. It's the first time that somebody's just stolen equipment from and just decimated yeah. the UK <laughs> studio <laughs> industry. Yeah. Where's well, the way of driving trade north? <laughs> <laughs> the North, northern, northern powerhouse. Northern powerhouse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Christian, it's been a real pleasure I, I, I and an education. Like, <laughs> amazing. amazing. I've really enjoyed it. It's amazing. been so much fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Cheers. Brilliant. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe using your favorite podcasting app and also think about rating and reviewing Music Tech's My Forever Studio. Don't forget to check back every Thursday for new episodes. Thanks for listening. 